Hi there, this is Edwin Crozier from the Franklin Church of Christ. Thank you for joining us as we open God's Word again to learn how to better serve and glorify Him. In First Chronicles chapter 17, David wanted to build God a temple, but God wouldn't let him. Instead, David was able to prepare the way for his son Solomon to build the temple of God. In First Chronicles chapter 29, David dealt with the pressing problem how would they underwrite the temple? In that chapter, we find several lessons for us in our work today as we build the Lord's temple. So open your Bibles with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, and let's learn about underwriting God's temple. In 1 Chronicles chapter 17, David wanted to build the Lord a temple, but God forbade him, said that Solomon would build his temple for him. However, as David looked out across this mammoth task that he was going to be leaving for his son Solomon, he saw one major problem. Who was going to pay for it? How were they going to underwrite the temple? And in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, we find David as he provides his own support, but then he appeals to the people that they would come and give to the effort of building that temple to serve and glorify God. Now we move several thousand years into the future and we come to the year 2005, almost 2006, and we take a look at us today. We, like David, are building a temple. If you'll turn over, hold your finger in First Chronicles 29 if you've already turned there, and turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 19, Paul said in Ephesians 2 and verse 19, So then, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints, and are of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. There's no longer a building somewhere that we're turning to as the dwelling place of God, as the place that we turn to to pray in order to pray to God. The temple today is Christ's church. We, His people and His body, are His temple. And everything that we're doing here within this congregation is in an attempt to build up that temple, to add stones into that building, to strengthen the stones that are there, to anchor each and every one of them on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and their teaching revealed by the Spirit. And of course, to tie each and every one of them to that cornerstone, which is Jesus the Christ. That is what we are doing. And yet, as we look at what we're doing, we actually have the same problem. We can't get away from the same question that David had to ask as he looked at that mammoth responsibility God was giving his son. How are we going to pay for it? Just as it did in David's day, building the temple takes finances. It takes money. For us to build the temple today, it takes money to provide materials for edification. It takes money to provide facilities for places to worship and to work. It takes money to support evangelists, both locally and in foreign lands. It takes money to do the things that we're doing. We're not of this world and we don't love the things of this world, and yet... We are in this world and must use the things of this world, even 
when it comes to building the temple. And therefore, we ask the question today, who's going to pay for it? Who's going to underwrite it? I'm sure you figured out this is a lesson on giving. And I just want to say before we get any farther in this, if you are a guest here, not a member of the Franklin Church of Christ, this lesson is not intended in one bit to solicit funds from you. When I preach a lesson on the Lord's Supper, I will often ask the brethren if we can move the Lord's Supper to the end of the service so our minds can be more focused on it. But when I preach a lesson on giving, I never ask that the giving be moved to the end. And there's a reason for that. Because giving is something that we're supposed to have purpose in our heart, not something we do on the spur of the moment because the preacher might have made us feel guilty or because the preacher might have fired us up. My intent this morning is for us to look at our hearts and make sure that what we are purposing is right in our hearts. Not to try to stir up some great contribution today. And so if you're our guest here, it's not about soliciting funds from you. This is a lesson about being a strong Christian, growing in the Lord and having the proper heart that we might underwrite and pay for the building of the Lord's temple. And I want to be extremely practical. 2006 is coming up. We're going to be making our New Year's resolution. Some of us are going to be thinking about how are we going to change our giving and improve our giving in the year 2006. And that's exactly what I want us to think about. What are we going to be doing? How are we going to improve? As we're looking to the next year, and deciding what we're going to purpose in our hearts, how we're going to give to pay for the Lord's work. I want you to think very carefully about that. And take a look at some of the lessons that we learned from First Chronicles chapter 29 about the underwriting of God's temple. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty and glorious God and Father in heaven, we are in awe that you allow us to be a part of your work. We recognize that you could have done things completely differently, that by a snap of your fingers and by a word from, from your mouth, all that you wanted to accomplish could be taken care of. But you have elected and allowed us to be a part of your great and mighty plan. And we're humbled and amazed, and we are so thankful. And Father, we pray that we might consecrate you in our hearts, recognizing just how important you are. And Father, we pray that we might consecrate our hearts to you completely giving ourselves over to Your will and to Your work, not only when it comes to finances, but when it comes to our time, when it comes to our efforts and our work and our relationships and all the opportunities we have. We pray that everything we do glorifies You and not ourselves. Father, we recognize, as Don said when praying at the time of the contribution, that everything we have is Yours. And as we give back to You, we're only giving You what You've blessed us with. And we're amazed that You have blessed us so greatly, and we're thankful. And Father, we pray that we will continue to do Your work. We recognize that You're a tester of hearts. And Father, we pray that You would test our hearts, and that You would strengthen our hearts, and that You would find us Your servants, devoted to Your will, that we might glorify and honor You as individual Christians and together as this congregation here in Franklin. Father, we pray that You would be with us as we've determined to to get out into the community, spreading Your Gospel, drawing others into Your family. We pray that Your hand would be with us, that many people could be saved because of the work that's done by each and every member in this congregation as we work together as a team, each doing our part. Father, we praise and honor and glorify You most of all because of the forgiveness we have through Your Son. As with all Your blessings, we are just amazed and humbled. And we thank You. And through His name we pray. Amen.
You turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and just begin reading in verse 1. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 1, David pointed out, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is still young and inexperienced, and the work is great. For the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. We need to recognize that as we are working to build this temple, as we are giving to build this temple, this is not about man. This is not a work for man. This is a work for God. We're not paying for buildings. We're not paying salaries. We're not paying for utilities. We're not paying for a little bit of benevolence here and there. We are building the Lord's temple. As Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12 beginning at verse 22 says, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 22, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. When we are doing our work and we are drawing people into the body of Christ, we are bringing them to the sprinkled blood of Jesus Christ. And we are building up that temple, that heavenly city of God. Not for our glory, but for God's glory. And we need to realize exactly what it is we are involved in when we are participating in that by giving to the work of the Lord. We need to realize that the work we're doing, this is not for men. This is for God. This is not for the preacher. This is not for the elders. This is for God, that He might be glorified. As we continue reading in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, we come to verse 5. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 5, as David appeals to the people, He says at the end of verse 5, Who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? As David appealed to the people, he didn't say who is willing to dig deep into their pockets. He didn't say who is willing to make a sizable donation. He didn't say who is willing to make a pledge that they'll give annually. He said, who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord? Who is willing to separate themselves out from all this worldliness and the worldly things around us and devote themselves wholly and completely to God? Jesus thought this very same thing in Matthew chapter 22. If you look in Matthew chapter 22, you'll remember when the Herodians were sent to Jesus in Matthew chapter 22 and in verse 16 they asked, Teacher, Matthew 22 verse 16, We know that you're truthful and teach the way of God in truth, and you defer to no one, for you are not partial in any way. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? And do you remember what Jesus responded? He found a denarii and he said, whose image is on this? And they said, why, that's Caesar's. And in verse 21, Jesus responded with perhaps one of his most famous repartees. He said, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. How do we know which thing was Caesar's? His likeness and inscription was on it. 
How do we know which things are God's? His likeness and inscription are on it. Do you remember what it said in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26? Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. As God crowned His creation week with His ultimate creation of man, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, He said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. When Jesus taught about taxes, He wasn't talking about a portion of money that belonged to God. He was talking about us. We belong to God. God's likeness is inscribed upon us. And we must wholly consecrate and devote ourselves to God. And so the question remains for us, just like it was with David, as he appealed to those people to accomplish this work for the Lord, building the temple, the question for us today is not who is willing to dig deep in their pockets, not who is willing to provide a sizable donation. The question is, who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord? Who is willing to separate themselves from the mundane things of this world and wholly devote themselves to the work of the Lord? And if we will do that, then the giving part will just follow. As we continue reading in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, we get to verse 11. Actually, let's go ahead and back up and read the entire context of this. In verse 10, So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord. And you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. And in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, Peter taught us that we should sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. We should separate God in our hearts. We should lift Him up on the pedestal above all things. And as we look at these words of David here in 1 Chronicles 29, verses 10 through 13, we see a verbalization of that very point. David had sanctified God in his heart. David had put God on that pedestal. God was above all things in David's heart and soul and mind and life. And he praised God for that place of consecration that he had, that sanctification, that separation. If we look again there in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, we go back to verses 2 through 3, we see what David had already done. David appealed to the people, but before appealing to the people, it says in verse 2, Now with all my ability I have provided for the house of my God the gold for the things of gold, and the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, and the iron for the things of iron, and wood for the things of wood, onyx stones, inlaid stones, stones of antimony, and stones of various colors, and all kinds of precious stones, and alabaster in abundance. Moreover, in my delight in the house of my God, the treasure I have of gold and silver, I give to the house of my God over and above all that I have already provided for the Holy Temple, namely 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the buildings of gold for the things of gold and of silver for the things of silver, that is, for all the work done by the craftsmen. Why was it that David was willing to give so much in order to underwrite this temple that he wasn't even allowed to build? 
because he had sanctified the Lord God in his heart. And the work of the Lord was sanctified. It was set apart on a pedestal above all else. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever given to a cause like the American Cancer Society? Or the American Heart Association? Why do people give to those things? Isn't it because they believe the work that they do is important? The great majority of people, I'll bet you find, who give to the American Cancer Society have had somebody in their family or a close friend affected and perhaps even died because of cancer. Those who give to the American Heart Association have probably had somebody in their family die because of heart disease. And we could list on through all those important works. Because they've been touched by it, they see how important the work is. And so they give. And that's what we're talking about here. You realize that everybody here and everybody we know has been put to death by sin. Everybody has been touched by it. And God has established an institution, an organization, that gets the message out regarding His salvation from those sins. And we can be involved in that work. Is there any work that is more important than that? David sanctified God in his heart. And when we sanctify God and His work in our hearts, all the other things will take care of themselves regarding serving the Lord. We continue on and we get to verse 15. And there in verse 15, David, as he prayed, talked about himself and those who were with him. He said, We are sojourners before you and tenants as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no hope. I know one of the things that causes us to struggle with giving is that it cuts into our pocketbooks. We get a little bit worried about that, especially in an area like this, because let's face it, houses cost a lot of money around here. And if we're giving too much, we may not get to live in the house that we really want to live in. And we probably won't be able to drive as nice a car as we like and may not get to send our kids to the the nicest schools as we want and put them in the nicest clothes. And it, it most certainly is going to cut into our retirement. And it, oh, definitely, it's going to hinder our children's inheritance. And one of the problems that I think we often have is we take a look at the dollar bill and we see that as our security. That's the thing that's going to protect us. It's what's going to house us and clothe us and feed us and provide for us in our old age and keep us safe throughout our lives. And we get a little bit worried about giving a little bit more of that away because it might hinder our ability to have security. But here's the newsflash. This world and everything of it by definition is insecure. And there is no amount of finances that we can have that can provide that security that we so desperately desire. Matthew chapter 6 points that out to us. In Matthew chapter 6, 
Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Moth can eat it. Rust can destroy it. Thieves can break in and steal it. I now have a friend who's in my Toastmasters club who is now a resident of Middle Tennessee because her home and everything she had in New Orleans was destroyed. I have another friend through that club, not a member, but had visited with us because friends, and moved here from California, decided, I guess had a pretty good nest egg laid up, moved here from California, decided wanted to start over. Had all of her money in a bank in California, got here, and as she started looking around to buy a house, she called back to the bank, and they didn't have her money anymore. Found out that there was a big conspiracy in that branch, and they had siphoned off her funds and a lot of other people's. Wow. What security is that? This is all, by definition, insecure. We're sojourners. We're pilgrims. We're travelers who can have no security down here by the things that are down here. And then no matter what it can provide for us down here, we're all going to die. And while money might be able to open doors down here on earth, guess where it doesn't open any doors? We'll not be able to stand before God in judgment and offer Him millions of dollars in exchange for our soul. In Luke chapter 12, And verse 16, the rich farmer found that out. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 16, Jesus told the parable saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones and there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, So you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease. Eat. Drink. Be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. We're sojourners, we're travelers, we're tenants, we're leaving. And once we're gone, that money is not going to help us a bit. But you know, I know there are a lot of people who have the idea that it, that it is going to help them. And they, you know, they're hanging on and they're grubbing, but they're paying their life insurance. And it's in their will that a sum of their life insurance is going to go to the church. And, hey, hey, we appreciate that. If God has blessed you to bless your kids with life insurance, probably should give to the Lord with that. But don't you think it'd be better if you served the Lord with your finances while you were alive? While you're still a pilgrim here, a sojourner? Because there's no amount of security you can get from all those funds. You're still just a pilgrim and a sojourner, and it's going to end soon. We continue reading to verse 16 of First Chronicles chapter 29. And in verse 16 he says, O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided to build you a house for your holy name, it's from your hand, and all is yours. We often have this raging debate today of how much we have actually belongs to God. And we go back and forth, is it a set amount or is it a percentage? And I've discovered that it is a percentage. And I know the answer. Exactly how much of what we have belongs to God. 100%. Every bit of it belongs to God. He gave it to us. 
He's allowed us to borrow it. He has set us up as stewards. But it's all His. Matthew chapter 25, the parable demonstrates a principle. And in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 14, he says, in Matthew 25 and verse 14, Jesus, providing this parable of judgment, said, it's just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received five talents went and traded with them and gained five more, and in the same manner the one who had two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now we know what happened with the five and the two talent man, and we know what happened with the one talent man, but let's take a look at him. We look down in verse 24, and the one who also had received the one talent came up to the master and said, Master, I, I, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you didn't sow and gathering where you scattered no seed and I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave! You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. You ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. God has made us stewards of His belongings that we might make a return to Him that we might produce fruit to His glory. We need to remember that everything we have belongs to Him. Our houses, our cars, our clothes, our food, our relationships, our opportunities, our salary, it all belongs to Him. And we're supposed to use it in a way that will glorify and honor Him. And part of that is giving to underwrite the building of His temple. But there's a second aspect to this to recognizing that everything that we have comes from God, belongs to Him. We recognize that what that means is, is that why well, He's the giver of all these good gifts. And if I take the good gifts that God has given me, and if you take the good gifts that God has given you, and we use those blessings to be a blessing to God and a blessing to others, then it stands to reason that He will continue to bless us because He wants His work done. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 6, teaches this. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Now this point differs from the health and wealth gospel in one fundamental way. The health and wealth gospel says, if you put a dollar in the plate, God will give you a ten or a fifty or a hundred back for your pleasure, for your enjoyment. It appeals to your greed as though giving is an investment upon which you will receive a return. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is pointing out, if we use God's blessing to further His work and bless His people, then God will continue to bless us. And He will provide for us to be able to accomplish His work. Because that's the way God is working today. Through us. And as we're so concerned that if we give, we're going to be in trouble, what it points out is that when God has blessed us and we use His blessings to bless Him, He will provide for us. We can have security in Him, or we can't have it anyplace else. We go back to 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and we read into verse 17. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, 
and verse 17, David said, Since I know, O my God, that you try the heart and delight in uprightness, I, in the integrity of my heart, have willingly offered all these things. So now with joy I have seen your people who are present here make their offerings willingly to you. Underwriting the work of God's temple is not just a matter of budget and checkbook and wallet. It's not a matter of bank statement and bottom lines. It's a matter of the heart. And David says, I know that you test the heart, O God. And that's why I've given this way. And you delight in uprightness. And that's why I've given this way. We recognize that how we give to the work of the Lord demonstrates something about our heart. We go back to Matthew 6 and verse 21. In Matthew 6 and verse 21, remember it talked about where our treasure is. Remember what it said? In Matthew 6 and verse 21, it said, Where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. The reality is, if we want to know about where our heart is with God, we can take a look at how we spend our time and how we spend our money and our resources. Because that demonstrates what we value and what we treasure. And God will test the heart. Not seeing how much money we might put in the plate, but how much value we place upon God and upon His work and upon things of the Spirit. As indicated by how we use His blessings. But David also made the point regarding this issue of the heart. He said, because you test the heart, I give willingly, cheerfully, not grudgingly, not out of necessity. How we give is as much a matter of the heart as what we give. It takes both. We might, because of a lesson like this, decide, okay, all right, I'll go ahead and increase. I mean, I guess I have to after that. don't want to. But I will. And as we write the check, it's painless as we see those figures. As we open the wallet, George Washington, or actually I should say Benjamin Franklin, blinks because of the sunlight. And we kind of hold on to it. David said, I gave willingly. And one of his great joys, he says, because I've watched these people here and they have presented their offerings willingly. God tests the heart. And we need to realize that God delights in uprightness. And giving, it's not just a checklist on our worship list. It's worship. And our heart must be involved properly, worshiping in spirit and in truth. And we continue on in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And we get down I put the wrong verse number there. Verse 19. Give to my son Solomon a perfect heart to keep your commandments, your testimonies and your statutes and to do them all and to build the temple for which I have made provision. David, of course, was not allowed to actually build the temple. 
He knew that his son Solomon was the one who was supposed to do that, but apparently he had concerns that Solomon would actually follow through. And therefore he prayed to God to give his son a perfect heart who would follow in the statutes and would actually build this temple for which he had made provision. You see, when it comes to underwriting the temple, we have to realize that our work involved in building up the Lord's temple is not completed when we've laid our money in the plate. We've only made provision for the work. At that point, we have to start building and using the provision that has been made to glorify and honor God. Not hoarding it as though it will be our congregational security in the church's old age, but using it and working, us working, not just expecting the money to work, us working to build that temple for which we pay. We know what happened with David's temple that he provided for, Solomon's temple. It was built. It was magnificent and it was glorious. Phenomenal work. And God's work was accomplished. What about us today? We're building a temple. And we've looked in the year 2006 and we have said that as far as this congregation goes, 2006 is going to be a year of, of great evangelism. It's going to be a year of leadership development, a year of personal spiritual growth for each of us. But all that stuff doesn't happen accidentally. Somebody's got to be willing to provide for it. I'll tell you this. In my, one of my most recent meetings with the elders, they have pointed out that this year, we're going to come pretty close to hitting our budget. And what that means, brethren, is if, if you want another year that was just like 2005, we don't have to change very much. But if we want an even more powerful and amazing year of us working in God's service and God working through us, then we have to ask ourselves the same question that David asked. Who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord this day? I certainly hope this lesson was beneficial to you as we looked at First Chronicles chapter 29 and learned from David how to underwrite God's temple. Let's remember what we learned today. One, the temple is for God, not for man. Two, we must be willing to consecrate ourselves wholly to the Lord. Three, we need to sanctify God in our hearts. Four, we need to realize that we're only pilgrims and sojourners in this world and our finances cannot provide us with eternal security. Five, we need to remember that everything belongs to God anyway. Six, we need to remember that God tests the heart. And seven, we need to remember that once we have given to provide for building the temple, it is then time to start building the temple of the Lord. If you have any questions about worshiping God, about giving in order to pay for the work of the Lord, about the Franklin Church of Christ and the work that we're doing to build God's temple today in Middle Tennessee, please call us at 615-794-2359 or you may contact us through our website at franklinchurchofchrist.com. Perhaps somebody has given you this lesson on CD or tape. If that's the case, 
Would you please go to that website I just mentioned? Again, it's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous lessons there in audio and outline format that you're free to use in whatever way you believe will glorify and honor God. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. More importantly, may you richly bless God.